following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I want to thank everybody that's listening around the world on the internet this morning. Uh, you know, we get a lot of responses from that. And I want to thank you all for being with us this morning as we get ready to deep, dig deep into God's Word. We were talking, hey, if you don't go to get ready, you don't know how much you're missing. We really dig deep into what whoever's the teaching team, what they're going to preach on. You kind of get the backstory, which is important. Also, the Wednesday night Bible uh, center point, we're doing Exodus right now, and it's just a wonderful time. You know, because we should be students of the Word. If you just come in Sunday morning for 45 minutes or whatever, whoever's preaching, some go longer, some go shorter. Um, if, if that's all you're doing, and you said, well, I didn't feel like I was being fed, Hey, my job's not to feed you. My job is to lay out what's to be talked about. And then you go home. Why do we put our scripture up there? We put it up there because you need to take notes. You need to dig into that. Hey, check me out. You know, you might read and say, hey, Fred, you were totally off base on that. Or I think it's this way. I'd love to talk to you about it. I learn something new every day. But we need to be students of the word. We need to open our Bibles. So if you have a well-worn Bible, you know, the binders all the bindings all cracked up and the pages are all marked over and stuff like that, that's kind of impressive to me. Bring in the old one. It means you've used that Bible. You've, you've, you've studied it. So I'm very excited this morning about God, what God's Word. But I want to start this off. We're, we're talking about judgment. We're talking about repentance. And we talk about sin and sinners. I want to say this up front. This is my personal belief based on the Word of God. That we were born with a sin nature, which makes us sinners, right? However, once we accept Christ as our personal Savior, we are declared saints. You know, Christ's death on the cross paid our sin debt, okay? So that said, we will still sin from time to time and we'll repent. Why? Because we're not perfect yet. Repentance is important. You see, our judgment has already been accomplished. And we have been forgiven. Now this morning, I will use words like, let me start off this way. I don't know, except for me, I'm the only guy in the room, I'm sure of this, do we, if I, as you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I don't know your heart. Now you might say, well, Fred, I've been a Christian for 40 years. Good on you. This message, if you listen to it and you take it to heart, it's a wonderful tool to use to tell people about Christ. If you don't know the Lord and you're sitting in here, I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts you. That's what the Word does. See, we, we talked this morning about getting real. The Bible, the Word of God is real. You know, there's nothing in here that isn't true. 
So, this morning I want to jump into this question. Why did Jesus come? So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you'd open to Luke 13, uh, verses 1 to 9. If you don't have your Bible, there might be one in the seat back in front of you. Or we'll have it on the screen. All right? Give you a couple moments to get there. Okay, Luke 13, chapter, Luke 13, verse 1. And there were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he said to them, Do you think that that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4 says, Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And then he went to the vine dresser and said, Look, For three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I can find none. Cut it down. Why should should it use up the ground? And so he answered him. He said, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, all well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So let's look at the question this morning. Why did Jesus come? We are all sinners. And we are all equally guilty. In chapter 13, actually 12, beginning end of 12, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, Jesus is teaching to a a large crowd, and he talks a lot about judgment. And he tells these people not to be so concerned about those are able to kill the body. Instead, it's be more concerned about the one who can throw your soul into hell. Do you remember Satan? Fallen angel? Fallen angel? Who is he afraid of? Pop pop quiz. He's afraid of God, right? He's afraid of God. So uh, he tells people not to be concerned, to worry about the evil one. And then he tells the parable of a man who produced a large crop. And he said, I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger and bigger barns, and then I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. But that man would face judgment that very day. And as I talked about a couple weeks ago, If the Lord were to come right now, are you ready? If the Lord would strike me down or take me home as a mid-sentence, are you ready? I can't answer that question for you. That's That's the one decision that's between you and God. I can help guide you that way, explain you, but that's your decision. That's your decision. And then he talks about a person who put in charge of the master's servants and goods. And when the master doesn't return soon, he begins to abuse his authority. But when the master returns, he doesn't, 
he, with less than he expects the uh, servant to have done, he brings judgment on that steward. So now we'll pick up in verse 1. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Now there is no biblical references a record of this. You can't find it in the Bible. But Josephus was a Jewish historian who lived between 37 and 100 AD. And he talks about in his writings of several occasions where Roman soldiers killed Jews during the time of Passover. At one Passover, 3,000 Jews were killed, as he records. And at another feast, there was about 200 killed. Another instance Josephus mentions is that he mentions Pilate by name by sending soldiers in disguise with daggers to kill Jews during the Passover. And the Jews here were referred to as Galileans. They would, a Galilean Jew was probably not as considered as spiritually righteous by the Jerusalem Jews. Why? The big temple was there. So the people here are telling Jesus about this. And they might have been implying that these Galileans were judged by God because they were sinners. Is all sin sin? Is there a one sin, a one A sin, a one B sin? They're all sin, right? Ten commandments. You break one, you break them all. Tough concept. You know... Whatever my sin is, and your sin is, don't look at me and say, oh, he's much worse. I'm a good person. <laughs> compared to him, I look pretty good. Well, compared to dog poo, cat poo looks pretty good too, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's just comparing poo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where that came from, the Holy Spirit. The <laughs> Holy Spirit just gave that to me. I, it's scary. <laughs> And God was using Pilate and his soldiers to bring judgment, okay? And when it boils down to it, it was this. They were saying, those Galileans were worse sinners than me because God allowed them to be killed. Then Jesus asked the next question in verse 2. He says, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? In other words, do you think they were worse than anybody else? Then he makes a statement in verse 3 that we'll go back to, but he, he was letting it sink in. And then Jesus brings another instance like that. He talks about the 18 who were killed during the, at the, uh, when the Tower of Siloamie uh, fell on them. Do you think they were worse offenders than anybody else living in Jerusalem? Again, we don't have a specific account of this happening, but while the pool was there, it isn't mentioned by name in the writing of Josephus, he writes about a time when Pilate took some money that was supposed to be reserved for the use of the temple by the religious leaders, and he used that money to lengthen the aqueduct system in Jerusalem. And that could be very well why the work was being done around the pool. And if this is so, then during the course of the work, the apparent, uh, tower apparently fell and killed 18 people. And Jesus asks, do you think that these people were worse sinners than anyone else in Jerusalem? And one of our problems, I believe, as human beings, is that we don't want to look bad to other people. We don't want people to think poorly of us. 
We often think that one of the best ways to look better to other people is to point out how bad someone else is. Yeah, I, I'm bad, but whew, compared to him, I'm golden. You know, we can go through the newspaper or even on the internet today and start pulling out how bad people are. Here's a couple that just um, this weekend. A person was arrested for robbery of a bank and shot a security guard. There's a person who's using drugs and selling them. This person murdered five people. And then the whole pornography industry is filled with nothing but what I believe are terribly immoral people. So when you read those things, all of a sudden, we don't look so bad. Right? I didn't kill anybody today. I didn't rob a store. If I did, I didn't get caught. Don't tell anybody. But we think less of people uh, for one reason or another. But at least we're not as bad as the other guy. And Jesus says in verse 3, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And then Paul wrote this in Romans. He says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death. So as sinners, we were all equally guilty, and we all deserved eternal punishment. And left to ourselves, and without heavily intervention, we have no hope. So the, what I believe is the only hope for sinners is to repent. In verse 3 and 5, talk about it. It says, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. And verse 5 says, No, I tell you. Again, when Jesus says something once, we should pay attention. When he says it twice, it's like, Do I have your attention now? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. So first thing I want to do, I believe words are important. And if I asked a question, what does it mean to be repent, we, to, uh, the word repent mean, we'd probably get about 10 different answers. Now, if you've been in church most of your life, you've heard that word a lot, I'm sure. I read a translation of this verse that I really helped nail down the meaning to me. The word means to change your mind, step one, with the understanding that you will change what you do. Let's say that again. Change your mind with the understanding that you will change what you do. You see, God made us with the brain, you know? And so I, I like going on the internet and doing searches and stuff. And I found this great website. It's called HowStuffWorks.com. And I found this. Every animal you can think of, mammal, bird, reptiles, fish, geckos, has a brain. But our brain is unique. It gives us the power to think, to plan, to speak, to imagine. And the brain is truly an amazing organ. It performs an incredible amount of t tasks. It controls body temperature, blood pressure, heart rate, and breathing. It accepts a constant flow of information about the world around you uh, from your senses, hearing, sight, smell, taste, touching. It handles physical motion while walking, talking, standing, or sitting. Mr. Bill, word for the day. Don't walk backwards going down steps. Okay. Inside joke. 
Your brain also lets you dream, to reason, to experience emotions. And all these tasks, if you believe it, are con controlled, coordinated, and regulated by an organ that's about the size of a cauliflower in your head. It's not very big, right? Every scrap of information that comes to us, everything that we choose to do, everything that we do involuntary or voluntary, everything has to be processed through the brain. So do you see why that word repent is so important? What we think matters. What we think about God, what we think about Jesus, what we think about sin matters. Why'd God give us a brain? To be able to think and to reason and all that stuff. We're not robots. We're not robots. We have free will. We have knowledge we, based on a ton of things. We have no excuse. You know, it matters so much that Jesus says, unless we change the way we think, there is no hope and you too will perish. But I think there's a filter that affects our brain processing information. It's not a real physical one, but it's one based on what we believe deep down in our souls. It's sort of like a water filter. Anybody ever live in Jacksonville? It is famous for its terrible drinking water. It's sulfur water. You put, it's terrible. So I had to have this, one of these, everyone has these huge filters. And the water normally smelled terrible. It tastes bad because it had stuff in it. There's a lot of sulfur and things like that in it. So when the water comes into the filter, the filter holds on to all the bad stuff. It doesn't allow the bad stuff to go through the filter. And that's the way this filter works in our brain. For example, if a person doesn't believe in God and they hear someone tell about something spiritual going on in their life. This person probably will dismiss it as coincidence, as chance, because they don't believe that there is a God who makes a difference in a person's life. But for, for believers, the opposite is true. Let's say that a person believes in God, has a sincere relationship with Jesus, and then they hear unbelievers say something like, I don't know why these things happen to me. I wish they would stop. Anybody ever hear that? And because of the believer's filter, they know that God is trying to get that person's attention. I challenge him. Anywhere in this book does it say life is going to be easy? Challenge. You won't find it. It does say you'll be tested, there will be trials, there will be temptations. But what's it used to? It uses to purify us, to make us pure. Anybody like to be tested? I, I know when I was a teacher in high school, and I'd say pop quiz, oh man, there was panic. You know, it looked like deers in the headlights. Oh, my God, what the test? Anybody like tests? Taking a driver's test is hard. I don't think I could pass one today with all this stuff. You know, she says, you don't know. Okay. 
She really does love me. <laughs> and that filter is made up, the filter we're talking about is made what we believe deep down. And that's amazing. What's amazing is that it, come, it comes through our brains, what comes through our brains can affect what we believe. And from time to time, God breaks through our unbelieving filter because he wants to change what is deep down. And Jesus uses little words in the Greek that are translated to unless and except. It can carry the idea of if you don't wish to or if you really don't want to. And I think that Jesus is getting to the real heart of the matter. You see, we can say words that sound like we want to change. We can do actions that look like we're changing. But if it doesn't come from deep down, if we truly don't want to change to become the person God wants us to be, we have no hope. A couple of months ago, Pastor talked about the, the Greek theater and the masks, hypocrites. You know, there's a lot of... You know, If there's a change in our life, it should be evident to people around us. After I got, I think I've told this story before, but after I got saved, um, I went to church one Sunday, and one of the kids that worked for me had a couple of children himself, and uh, <laughs> he's walking down the aisle, go home, and. He sees me, and he looks like a big old mother hen protecting his kids. And he's like, bad man. <laughs> bad man. The cute thing at the end is, I told Mark that, you know, I'd been saved, baptized, all this stuff. And his little son says, Daddy, does that mean we don't have to pray for that man anymore? His name's on the, his name's on the refrigerator. <laughs> but there's an outward change. And it, it, it's, it's really, and you know who had the hardest time, in my belief, dealing with that change? It's family and friends. Because they see you one way. And all of a sudden there's a radical sea change. And they don't get it. What opportunities we have there just to share the gospel? What it's done for a sinner like me, saved by grace, by God's mercy. You know, Jesus came to give us hope when we had no hope because of our sin. But the sad thing is that that hope won't last forever. You know, there is a time limit on hope. In verse 6 to 9, Jesus tells this parable. He says, Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on the fig tree, and I still come and find none. Cut it down. Why should you be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. And if it bears fruit the next year, well and good. And if not, you can cut it down. What's the gardener saying? Let's give it one more chance. Isn't our God the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chance? 
The gardener says, give it a little time. I'll work extra hard on it. Maybe there's hope. I learned how to plant trees and bushes with my grandfather. He was a super gardener. And he taught me the best thing for bushes and plants is black cow cow manure. Ever seen in the yellow bag, big black cow on it? <laughs> so I'd come from overseas and I wanted to have tomatoes grow in our backyard, but it was too late in the season to do it. So I got like 20 bags of black cow, made a big accident, put the little tomato plant in it, watered it. They were like seven feet tall in like three, you know, six weeks. They were huge. But you know, the thing is, when we, he's talking about here, is we got to get, get a little dirty because you just don't, when you plant the bush, you just don't throw black cow around the base. What do you have to do? You have to mix it in. You got to bring it in, bring it in, get dirty and get real. That's tough for us, isn't it? Sometimes we just like to superficially, well, I threw some cow manure on it. First rain, it's gone. You got to dig deep. You got to go deep. God brings us into contact with the truth of his word through people. And there's, you know, with today's, all the different media that's available to us today, it's amazing. And we have to believe God allows things to happen. Even causes things in our life that are meant to break through the filter and go deep down and change what we believe and how we believe. And what happens to that is then we don't become receptive to the gospel. I've done disaster relief a bunch of places. We lived in Mariana when Hurricane Michael, Cat 5, came through. And I know this is what I speak. There were people of faith that knew they were going to get through it. Broke their hearts that they'd lost everything, but they knew they were going to get through it. And then I met people, no hope, no joy. If you go down to Fort Myers or wherever down south, there's going to be a lot of people angry. There's going to be a lot of people, Christians, really kind of hacked off. You know, God, I go to church, I go to Bible study, I do all these things. They're missing a the point. It's again a time of testing. It's a time of purifying. You know, everything we have, everything can be replaced. I've never gone by a car dealer that didn't have cars in the lot. You drive around Gulfport and St. Pete, there's a lot of signs with for sale on them. You can always replace stuff. Clothes, this is my Walmart special. You can get clothes. But we worry about the things of the world and not the things of heaven. And we miss that, we miss that connection. God is in control. And he loves us. Oh, by the way, did I tell you all I love you this morning? Okay, I, I should have started off like that. It just dawned on me. But I love you all. And you know what's even more important? I like you. Because nowhere in the Bible says you have to like them. It says you have to love them. So I'm giving you the bonus plan. <laughs> Again, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> And he just takes charge. Uh, so when our lives are over, when that instant our heart and brain cease to function, 
Hope is gone. The time limit is up. So why did Jesus come? To give us hope. But we only have hope when we repent and we consider God's ways and we truly change. I read a poll just the other day. I I doubt it's veracity, but it says 83% of American adults say they're Christians. But if they were honest and take a look at how we live in the culture, we all know that's not true. We all know that's not true. There's a lot of people who do good things and who say good things. But unless they've considered God's ways and truly changed deep inside, they have no hope. You know, just like they stubbornly refuse to accept the gift. I was telling the kids at Awana Friday night, the gift of God, the best gift you could possibly get. And that's how I related to them. It's Christmas time. And you've got a big Christmas tree. And all your Christmas presents are wrapped around under the tree. And there's one huge box. And it has your name on it. And it's all wrapped up perfect. And you go to your mom and dad and say, I don't want that. Didn't even look inside. What person in their right mind would do that? Christ has given us the best gift possible. He died for us on the cross to take our sin debt because we weren't, you know, (laughs) it just amazes me. God, before time created, was created, knew everything we were going to think, do, say, act. And yet he still came and gave his life for us. That's a, that, it's mind blowing. It's like, and then we reject that gift. Shame on us if we do. So this morning as we sing our closing song, I'd like to ask you this morning um, a question. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Deep down, have you truly changed? Is your whole life directed by the truth of God's word? Does anybody believe that there's a mistake in this book? Is this the perfect, inerrant word of God? So what it says we believe is true. No lies, no shell games. This is true. And this is, some people call this God's book of instruction for how to live. I don't normally go with that, but at the end of the day, God tells us, obey me. Love me. Can you, it's just, it's so mind-blowing to me that the creator of the universe loves us. You know, I told you I loved you. You know who loves you a gazillion times more than me? God. We can't even comprehend his love. Our brains aren't complicated enough for that. 
And all he says is, come. Believe in me. Keep my commandments. It's, it's amazing to me. So, if you haven't directed your life by God's word, I would urge you to come to Jesus so that you can have this hope that God wants you to have. Now, while they're singing, there's two things I want you to do. We have this QR code card. Everyone's got a cell phone, snap it. Or there's a connection card. And if you truly want to know more about the Lord, or if you truly want to change today, just write that down. I want to change today. Or go on the, the line and do it. I'm not going to pressure you. I know there's a lot of people that pressure people, guilt them into walking the aisle. I don't do that. That's a personal decision that you make. But if you've made that decision or are thinking about making that decision, Pastor Colin, Rob, myself, we're here to talk to you. We'll be here all morning until you all go home. So just come up and talk to us. Simply say, I want to be truly changed today. What a great response to Christ's gifts. You want that free gift? You ever watch people on The Price is Right? They're jumping up and down. They get a free car. We have the gift of salvation, the gift of hope, the gift of joy, peace. And when do you need peace, comfort, and joy? In times like today. You know, the people down south, I know, they will tell you stories that will just just make you cry. But the faithful know it came for a reason and that God was in there. The tough part is we have a hard time with God's will. We think that after we say a prayer and we say, in the name of Jesus, that it's going to come out just like we want it. It's not the punchline or the tagline. In God's will. God's will. And that's hard to discern for us. But he will let us know. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this time. Lord, you're such a great, patient God who loves us and wants that personal relationship with us. And Father God, I just, uh, I just ask that the Holy Spirit come and move amongst us this morning to convict us, to comfort us, to correct us, to encourage us. Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of hope, the gift of joy and peace and comfort. Lord, I ask that this morning when we leave here, we go home and we take your word to heart. We dive into your Bible. We get a deeper understanding of what you're saying on how we should live our lives. And I pray this in your son Jesus' most precious and magnificent name. Amen.
thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.